You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks for being with us here today for today's talk about the debate surrounding shift left. This would be a very interesting conversation. With me today is Peter Klimek. He's Director of Technology in the Office of the CTO at cybersecurity software and services company Imperva. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's uh, let's dive right into this. Uh, how, how do you feel about uh, Shift Left? I know people have been talking about it a while. Is it at its peak? Is it past its peak? Where do you think it's at? Yeah, so I, I'd say first for me, I was largely indifferent to the general hype cycle of where Shift Left was. Uh, but I started hearing rumblings in the industry. And first, it started coming from some of the developer community um, around people saying that Shift Left had really gone too far. And so I started to pull some of the security professionals, uh, whether they're CISOs or people that work specifically in application security. And what I found was it wasn't just developers that were saying this, it was also the security teams that were saying shift left had gone too far. We've hit peak shift left. And so that's where I really started digging into this to find out and understand why we had actually hit that point. Mm -hmm. So when you say that shift left has gone too far, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think when when we look at most of the problems that application security teams and security teams or even just development teams face today with vulnerabilities, it's not finding the vulnerabilities that's really the problem. It's fixing the vulnerabilities. They get lots and lots of reports that tell them where everything is. And most of the tooling that's really available today on the market for Shift Left is really all about finding and discovering things and really less so about actually going in and fixing them. So that was really the, the first big theme that we found for it. And then the second one that we found was when we talked to various teams, most of the shift left tooling is really good at finding code level vulnerabilities. These are going to be the things like a SQL injection or a cross-site scripting or remote code execution type of vulnerability. But when we look at the attack landscape and we look at how things have shifted over the years, a really big uh, migration of what attackers are targeting and what some of the biggest vulnerabilities are, are moving more to what I would consider to be either business logic or runtime vulnerabilities. So vulnerabilities specifically that are looking at things like authorization or account takeover or things that you can't necessarily fix in code directly. So when we talk about shift left, uh, from from our coverage and what we've uh, been hearing over the years is that it's just placing everything earlier into the development cycle, which usually means that the responsibility lands on the desks of the developers. So when you talk about these tools that now can spot uh, issues but not remediate them, is it now falling on developers to have to have enough understanding of security to remediate these things or other people need to be involved in the remediation? What are you guys seeing about that? Yeah, typically it is most the most of the honest is on development teams. Um, and part of the reason for that is because there is an asymmetry in terms of the number of developers in an organization to the number of security professionals and specifically the AppSec professionals. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you might have a security team that provides the tooling, which is able to find it. But realistically, the security teams are working across the entire organization. They're not responsible or even understand all the different uh, code and uh, applications that are under development in the organization. And so they really rely on the development teams to be the ones that are actually fixing that. 
Now, if you go and talk to the development teams in terms of where their priorities are, oftentimes they're looking at developing new feature sets. They're looking at getting code out and really enabling the business. And so this is where you have a misalignment of priorities. A lot of times the business is really focused on trying to develop and push out new things. And ultimately, the vulnerabilities are really kind of seen as a form of technical debt that just needs to be bought down progressively over time. Uh, but it can be really difficult to do that, especially if you're giving the given this large backlog of vulnerabilities that don't have a lot of context, or they might not be fully validated even, because a lot of times the development teams were just relying on what the tools will tell them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know there are a lot of companies out uh, now that are offering solutions for what they call secure coding. Uh, so that's, uh, I guess, a technique that's aiming at eliminating vulnerabilities right during the code, as you would mention that earlier. So, so what would be the, the, the best way for, for developing te- development teams to handle these types of issues? Is it locking the code down right up front? Is that what people should be advocating for? Yeah, I think they should certainly take a stance in terms of not introducing new vulnerabilities and buying down that technical debt over time. Uh, Ultimately, if you're not already doing that today, that is a first step and that is something that you want to be doing. I think for security teams, really where a lot of the focus needs to be on now is putting in more defensive controls and getting back to the defensive side of the equation and really starting to go and look for some of these more advanced attack vectors that we're seeing. Uh, Now, there's lots of different ways you can do this, whether you're actually using, uh, you know, various runtime controls, or even if you're doing things like enabling a bug bounty program. If you go in and you look at some of the bug bounty programs that are available today, a lot of where the hackers and people that participate in bug bounty programs are focusing on is identifying these more business logic related vulnerabilities, the various authorization uh, flaws that oftentimes make their way into code. And this is really where we find a lot of the best bang for the buck for development and security teams to focus in on is because you get really good validated feedback. It doesn't cost a ton of money compared to the licensing of some of the shift left tooling. And it gives you a really good opportunity to find new and advanced threats. Right. So, so let me ask you this, because everybody, of course, is talking about uh, AI and generative AI in particular. So that's obviously going to introduce a whole new dynamic into security. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you have people who will be able to use it to try to lock down their systems harder. But of course, the bad actors will use it to try to penetrate those things. So how is that going to change? Do you think, uh, Jedi, going to change the uh, landscape of security? Oh, man, there's so many different ways we could take this. Um, There's a few things we're already seeing in terms of trends right now. Uh, There's definitely uh, the use of Gen AI to simplify the fixing and the remediation of some of these code level vulnerabilities. And so I do applaud the industry and the technological achievements for getting to that point. Uh, Now, at the same time, one of the bigger challenges that we're seeing is the Gen AI tools, just like they're up-leveling a lot of developers, they're also up-leveling some of the attackers. And I don't mean necessarily the really advanced attackers here. I actually mean a lot of the script kiddies, the ones that usually didn't have the technical chops to write advanced uh, exploits or anything along those lines. We're seeing them actually starting to up-level now as a result of Gen Gen AI tooling. 
And so this is where we are also emphasizing really that need to put more resources behind the defense of the applications as they're in production, because you are getting attacked more, the attackers are getting more crafty. And we have data that backs us up from our latest bad bot report that basically found the number of bad bots that were out on the internet, the, the middle class, basically the difference between what we consider to be a, a simple or a moderately advanced or a very advanced bot, um, that middle class is basically getting squeezed and bots are either now simple or they're advanced. Okay. And ultimately, we believe that Gen AI is really driving a lot of this because the tooling is getting more advanced. It's giving people a way to really go and develop more advanced exploits and targeting applications. Mm -hmm. Middle class getting squeezed. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, looking uh, again, uh, you know, turning our uh, or attention back to shift left. Uh, if it's past its peak and and people are finding flaws with it, what what would be the next step? What what would be maybe not the replacement, but what would be the evolution of trying to solve these security problems? Yeah, I think ultimately for security teams, the one thing that more emphasis needs to be placed on is developer velocity. I know that's been a really big topic just in development circles as well. Um, and team starting to look and measure that. And I know there's there's lots of metrics out there, things like Dora that you can use to be able to measure that. And they're not perfect, but I think as a security professional, that's ultimately the big thing that we advocate for is your ability to find and fix things as quickly as possible. Uh, most notably, when we get large vulnerabilities out there, like the log4shell or log4j vulnerabilities, I mean, I'll give me a development team that can get out there and they can roll out a patch within 24 hours over someone that's going to take a month to go through full regression testing cycles in order to do that. Right. Uh, that's ultimately, I think, the best case scenario for, uh, for security teams. And then emphasizing and putting a lot more work into threat modeling and understanding where you have controls, what can be fixed at code level, or what do you need to actually augment with external third-party systems? Because ultimately, there are a lot of vulnerabilities now that are being targeted that, frankly, there's no coding. You can't code your way away from that problem. So, you know, a lot of people are talking these days about platform engineering and the developer experience. Uh, is there anything that can be built into these platforms that could help developers to, uh, you know, lock down their code a little more securely before it makes its way into production? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a big, very promising technology over the years that has seen kind of some rises and falls, but ultimately it, it's one of the best out there. Um, runtime software. So runtime application self-protection is certainly one of the ways that you can basically create effectively a positive security model around your application, meaning that if it starts behaving in ways that it should not, then you have the ability to stop that. Uh, we see that as a very effective control for things like zero-day threats and vulnerabilities. And so ultimately, it's used very commonly today in high-security environments. Uh -huh. But getting that technology out to more development teams is really, I think, one of the things that we can improve as an industry. Um, and additionally, above and beyond that, it's really for security teams looking at having the tooling in place to be able to actually go and do some threat hunting. So actually finding some of these threats as they're going and targeting your applications and don't just wait for fraud or related issues to start cropping up that turn you on to them. Actually proactively identifying some of these issues and some of these advanced attackers is really what we also advocate for. Right, interesting. You know, uh, it, it's funny to me, it all comes back to um, DevOps where you know we were sold this this bill of goods that it's you know kumbaya between development teams and IT people and everybody's going to work together happily 
when really what it was apparently seemed to be an effort by companies to sideline all of the guardrails and other things that companies use just to get software out the door more quickly uh, and and giving the responsibility to developers so they didn't have to wait on IT and security and testing and everything else to get uh, to get applications out because they were told uh, that you know if you're not fast enough you're dead so uh, maybe now what we're seeing is kind of a, the pendulum swinging back a little bit uh, to saying no security and testing are two critical components and after we've seen these hacks that have cost millions of dollars, uh, you know, maybe people are coming back a little bit more to their senses to make sure that they're building these practices into their uh, into their life cycle. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that was perfectly, perfectly stated. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've earned my money for the day. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Peter Klimak, thank you. Director of Technology uh, at Imperva, the cybersecurity software services company. Thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Good talk. Thank, thanks for having me on the show. Yep. And thanks to all our listeners. Once again, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. Until next time, so long for now.